Welcome to the Thriving Forward podcast. Now to introduce your hosts. Hi, I'm Megan Laspinera. I'm the founder and executive director of Kids Thrive 585 Inc. and a pediatrician in Rochester, New York. And I'm Sarah Collins McGowan. I'm also a pediatrician here in Rochester, and I teach community health and advocacy to pediatric residents. In each episode, we will speak with people involved in good works and projects in the greater Rochester area. We hope that by introducing you to these inspirational people and their stories, you will be motivated to learn more about these amazing organizations in our region and the fabulous people who keep them working. Hey everyone, it's Sarah and today I'm here with Lisa Nolan, Director of Prevention Education at Willow Domestic Violence Center. Lisa, thanks for talking with me today. Thanks for having me. So we like to start with uh, an icebreaker question. Um, What's something that you've been into lately? Something I've been into lately? Well, um, you know, pandemic makes you not into things and also into things. So, um, you know, we've been staying sane by being outside um, and hiking. We've been doing a lot of hiking in county parks and state parks where where we can get out safely. Um, I've also been doing a lot of reading. Uh, My nine-year-old daughter is like a super reader. So I've been trying to keep up with her. We've got like a little book club um, during the pandemic. And I know I'm 20 years late to the party, but um, I finally read Harry Potter start to finish. So... That's great. You're never too late to come to the Harry Potter party, I think. We are also, I am reading that with my kids right now, too. We are finally on the seventh book, um, and so they're very excited to be finishing the series. <laughs> it was very excited to be finishing it, and actually, funny enough, it sort of just kind of feeds right into this topic, too, of, you know, kids experiencing trauma and, uh, you know, kind of all the things that are happening to kids and how that impacts them through the course of their life. So it was a fascinating read as an adult, actually. That's a really interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're you're exactly right. <laughs> Um, would you start by talking about Willow and some of the services that you offer? Absolutely. Um, so Willow is the um, it's a domestic violence agency here in Monroe County. We serve primarily folks who are in Monroe County. Um, we have a ton of different services. Typically, when people think about Willow, they think about our hotline, which is 585-222-SAFE. That's 7233. Um, it's 24 hours a day. It's always a human that answers that phone. We don't use like callbacks or voice recordings or anything like that. It's an advocate as soon as somebody picks up. Um, and people typically think about us as shelter. So we do have a um, safe shelter in a confidential location um, where we house people. Um, But um, we have a lot more services than just our hotline and our shelter as well. We um, have a counseling center um, and counselors that are available um, independent of shelter. You don't need to be staying in shelter to use our counseling services. We also have a court advocacy program We're right downtown at the Hall of Justice, helping survivors through the order of protection process in family courts on the third floor of the Hall of Justice. We have mobile advocates who are out in the community, um, and those include um, advocates who work right in CPS as well. So we know that survivors can't always reach us where we are, so we go out to them wherever it's the safest. Uh, Our mobile advocates spend a lot of time in places like libraries and Dunkin' Donuts and, um, you know, wherever is is safe. For somebody to come out and be with us. We also have a human trafficking program um, and the program that I run, which is our prevention education program, where we're out in the community educating um, anybody who wants to talk about dating and domestic violence. So we're doing a lot. 
how has the COVID pandemic affected the the work that you're doing? Because I you know when the pandemic first started, there was a lot of concern, obviously, that domestic violence would increase. And, and now that we've been living with social distancing and financial stress and family stress and illness for seven months, um, is that in fact what you've seen? Have you seen increases or you've seen changes in how people are utilizing your services? Absolutely. Uh, the um, pandemic has had an incredible impact on survivors and the services that we provide. So like everyone, we we hustled. In March, it was a hustle. In April, it was a hustle. But we never closed our doors or stopped our services for one moment because this is the kind of service that you can't do that. People need you and they need you more during a time when things are uncertain and stressful um, and people are experiencing high anxiety. So um, we have seen an, an incredible increase of calls in the past six months since the pandemic started, we've received almost 5,000 calls to our hotline just in that six months, which is almost as many as we receive in a year. Typically, we receive about 7,000 a year. So we're already on track for um, a huge increase in calls to our hotline. And not only that, but the... um, the severity of what we're hearing on the other end of the phone is is much different. Um, it's it's not something's happening to me. I need some help and I need some resources. Um, can can you connect me? It is something is happening. It's really bad, and I got to get out of here right now. I need help immediately. So we know that the intensity of what's happening at home is increasing, um, and you know our concern at, at this time too is with schools being in flux that the stress of of um, that schedule um, that parents are experiencing, that kids are experiencing is going to make things a little bit worse now this fall um, because there's there's so much added on. So this has had a huge impact on survivors in the community and the services that we are providing. I wanted to ask too about um, kids and pets, survivors who have kids and pets, because I, I know that that sometimes is a thing that stops people from reaching out for help. And I remember talking to a, a mother myself in clinic a few years ago who would not leave an abusive situation because of the dogs. I mean, she literally wouldn't. Um, and I wonder how you address things like that. That's a great question. Thank you so much for asking about kids and pets. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Pets are huge in this equation. Um, that story of somebody not leaving because they don't want to leave their dogs behind is something that we hear almost every day. In fact, we opened a new shelter um, location in 2016, and part of our criteria for opening that was to have a pet shelter. So we're able to home pets right with us. We can take dogs, cats, little little animals, pocket pets, hamsters, gerbils, bunnies, um, nothing that requires a heat lamp nothing bigger than a big dog. Um, we'll, we'll work with people on finding um, foster families and suitable homes for those, those pets that we can't take, but you're right. Um, almost 60% of people who are living in a dangerous situation and feel that they their pet will be in danger if they have to leave it behind will not leave that situation. Our pets are our babies. Um, and so we have to know that and, and, you know, for many survivors experiencing a traumatic situation, that is their source of love and comfort. So if you think about taking that away, if that's what they're hanging on to, that's impossible to ask someone to do. And, you know, kids, kids are um, their, their sort of own barrier in the equation as well. You know, um, people have all kinds of thoughts about... Um, you know, two home par- or two parent homes, and what it looks like to shut out a parent out of a kid's life, um, and and the ease and ability to do that is, it's not easy. <laughs> um, it is it's so so difficult, um, and that process, even if somebody wants to do it, is just filled with barriers and emotion, and and usually 
years of, of relationships. So that's something that's really, really difficult to overcome. So we, we house children in our shelter. Typically we're about half adults and half children at any one time in shelter. We have some children's programs. We do some um, children's therapy as well, because we know that kids are impacted by this, even if they're not the targets of abuse. And October is Domestic Violence Prevention Month. Um, and do you have any events focused around that or any you know, messages that, especially right now in the time of COVID, that you're trying to kind of target to the, to the general population in, in terms of how to help um, or how to um, you know, play a role in, in helping prevent domestic violence? Absolutely. Uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yay, here we are. So typically we do a big um, walk with us events. You know, we can't do that this year. So we're walking virtually this year. So if you um, go to our website, it's Walk with Willow. Um, there's a virtual event that's happening right now all throughout the month of October. So we're trying to walk 7,000 miles in honor of the 7,000 hotline calls that we get per year. And um, we're trying to raise some money, $50,000 for the amount of calls that come in to 911 for domestic related disputes every year. So um, it's, it's super simple to register and participate. There's all kinds of contests that are happening um, with pets, actually, um, with great shoes and with wearing purple. Um, so that's one way to raise awareness is to walk with us, to post all that stuff on your social media. We have a whole sort of social media campaign. You can go to the website and just download and it goes like, you know, right to your Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all those social sort of assets um, that you can post to raise awareness. You know, even when we feel like there's maybe nothing that we can do or it's, it's hard to be active, even posting on social media about the resources in the communities. So whether that's Willow or whether that's some of our partners, Restore Sexual Assault Services or Bavona or Resolve or Safi of Rochester, posting those resources on your um, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, just to let people know that they're out there and that you know that they're out there, that makes you a trusting person. So if somebody needs to make a disclosure to you, they can feel safer doing that and they have resources available to them. You know, we know that survivors can't always get to those resources themselves. I can't, it's not safe for me to Google things on my phone or make a call or a text, but if you put it on your Facebook feed, I can see it there and know that it's there when I need to look back and reference it without having to go to a website that my abuser is gonna question. That's like the modern version of the poster with the tags in the bathroom. It's yeah, the absolutely, yeah. <laughs> So one of the things you do, I know, in your role um, in education is is working with young doctors, with resident doctors, um, and teaching them about well services. Why has that been important? I mean, why do you think it's so important to um, to focus uh, some of the education on the medical community? It's really important to focus domestic violence education on the, on the medical community for a couple reasons. Um, one is that survivors, when they're looking for information about domestic violence or where to receive help, they're looking at their healthcare provider. They're looking for the answer. They're looking for the phone number, the resource, the connection there. We know that. Um, so it's important to make sure that our docs and nurses and healthcare providers have that information, either you know in the office, uh, you know on a poster or a card or whatever, or that they know it 
in their brain and can recite it out. Um, you know, we also know that this is important for um, healthcare providers to know and to learn about because domestic violence is a social determinant of health. So we we can trace if um, you know. I'm certain that you've had people on who've talked about adverse childhood experiences. So we know that domestic violence is one of those aces, and we can trace long-term health issues and implications all the way back to childhood to domestic violence situations. Whether a child has experienced those or whether they were just witnesses to it, we know that it can have long-term impacts on their health. So to even think with um, healthcare providers to ask about, you know, what, what was your history growing up like? What was it like being a kid who was in your house? Maybe that has something to do with why you have chronic lung disease. Now, as an adult, we have to go all the way back in that social history to think about how that might be impacting adults. And certainly as we're talking about kids, you know, why does it appear that a, a kid has ADHD? Maybe they don't, Maybe they're living in so much trauma every day that they're not functioning and this is how they cope and it presents this way. So making sure that our docs and our healthcare providers are asking the right questions so that we're not missing something and that we're able to connect our patients and our kids and our adults with the appropriate resources. That's a great point. And I think with both social determinants of health and ACEs, um, you know, there's a lot more recognition now and in the last few years of how important that is in terms of health and in terms of long-term health. Um, And I think that one of the key things that medical providers struggle with is that you don't want to ask questions that you don't have an answer for, that you don't have resources for. And so this is a great example of something where you you can have a resource for it um, and it can help to feel, I think, a little bit you know, empowered to, to ask because you're not just doing it to, to ask, you know, you're doing it because you have real time resources that you can give a family to hopefully help mitigate some of this long-term health outcomes. Right. And we know that this is hard to ask about, right? This is a hard thing to talk about. It's awkward. It's personal. It's traumatic. Um, so even, even for a healthcare provider to say, listen, I'm not an expert in this, but I know who is. Let me connect you with somebody. That's more than enough. Um, and, and my advice is, is to own that awkward moment. To, to just say to your patient or to whoever you're talking to, like, this is really awkward. And I'm not sure how to ask you this, but I'm going to ask you because it's really important to your health history or it's really important to understand um, how you even got here today. So can we talk about this a little if you're willing to talk about it? Just own that awkward moment. It will become less awkward by pointing out that it's awkward. I know that that seems counterintuitive, but usually it's pretty helpful. Um, it, it can really help somebody open up. Yeah, that's very true. Um, how did you get into doing this kind of work? You obviously are very passionate about it. Uh, what what brought you to Willow? What brought you to this field? Um, well, it's a little bit of an interesting path. Um, I actually have spent most of my professional career in higher education. Um, and I worked at a couple of colleges here in Monroe County. And I was in the um, student conduct and Title IX world. So for those who are not familiar, Title IX is that federal law about um, gender equality, um, equality of sexes on college campuses. And that has uh, blossomed in the last 10 years into the college you know, sexual assault stuff. So I was doing a lot of that for for a really long time. Um, and I was meeting with students and, and faculty and staff who were survivors um, and who were also accused and walking through that process with them. So 
it, it just became part of my everyday life and uh, became immersed in it and hearing all those stories of, of what had happened to people and how they arrived at me. So I worked with Willow all the time in that role and, um, you know, coordinating for them to come onto campuses and do training and to meet with survivors. So it, it just was a natural fit uh, when this came up because I was really sort of already doing the work just in a little bit of a different zone. Do you have any advice for somebody who's interested in doing similar work of how to get started or what things are important to learn first or what skills to build? Um, well, I think the number one skill that you have to have is compassion. Um, something that I think that we're all lacking a little bit right at this moment. So we could all do with a little more compassion in our lives right now. Um, but having that compassion um, and and thinking about um, how to be trauma informed. So if you've, if you've never done any work or, um, thought about trauma and how trauma impacts people, um, taking a look at trauma informed care, uh, is a great idea. It's a great mode of practice. Um, otherwise I don't think that you have to, um, work for a domestic violence agency to do domestic violence work necessarily. If, if you have a passion in this area, um, and you want to do the work, you want to help and support survivors, domestic violence isn't an issue that lives in one place alone. Um, we're touched by it no matter what career field we're in because our friends experience this, our family experiences this, your coworkers experience this, whether you know it or not. So being that compassionate and trusting and safe person, you can do anywhere. Um, certainly, you know, it, you can be degreed in doing some of this stuff in social work and counseling. I'm not degreed in doing this at all. I just sort of fell into it, um, got a passion for it and learned as much as I could um, and then jumped on with the agency. But I, I don't think that you need to be degreed. You have to have an open mind. You have to have compassion to be able to do this work. And you can, you can advocate on your own. You can advocate for legislation. Um, you know, VAWA is not renewed right now. We need that to get renewed. Um, so there's lots of ways that you can get involved in the cause without having to work for a domestic violence agency or be degreed in, in the work. My other piece of advice, if you're going to get into doing this, self-care. You have to have really good self-care. You know, I know as a doctor, I'm sure you have really good self-care strategies. And I hope you guys talk about self-care as professionals as well. But this is another area where you need to have some really good self-care um, techniques for yourself so that you can, you can take care of yourself to be able to continue doing the work. Is that something that you do very intentionally at Willow in terms of addressing the self-care? Because you're, I mean, when you are dealing as a provider in an area with so much trauma, it's it's easy to get burned out. It's easy to, you know, have a lot of struggles with that yourself. So what kinds of things do you do to to care for, you know, everybody who's working with Willow? We do a lot of self-care. We talk, I mean, we talk about self-care all the time. I think that's, you know, the first step in the right direction. Um, and then it's not lip service. Um, we debrief regularly. Um, we have a supportive um, supervision structure as well. So if, you know, something happens and, you know, you're working with a tough client or a tough situation and, and you just need to step away, we have the space and the freedom to be able to do that. We have backups to our backups. Um, and, you know, we, we just tell people to go home, you know, <laughs> 
that was a really tough one. Why don't you just head out for the day and we'll see you back tomorrow? So we're really intentional about making sure that we're talking about self-care, that we're practicing self-care, that we're encouraging people to um, engage in self-care in ways that work for them. Um, you know, during the pandemic, we, we thought of all kinds of different things. We did coloring contests. We did um, social media posts. We did um, self-care selfies Friday for our staff. So just trying to engage staff in self-care in whatever medium works for them. If people want to learn more about Willow, where should they go? I know you mentioned the hotline and I want you to say it again, um, but what other, what other places can they access either on your social media or your website um, to learn more about your services? Yeah. So our hotline number is 585-222-SAFE. That's 7233. We also have a text line, which is 585-348-SAFE-7233. You can get information on all of our services at our website, which is um, willowcenterny.org. And right now you can um, walk with us at With Willow. Um, Just Google that, With Willow, um, and we'll come popping right up for you. Um, If you want to learn more about this, if you want to take a deeper dive into it, um, call me. We, you can request um, education or training for whatever organization you work for or whatever community you're in. Our training and education program is absolutely free. We are happy to come to where you are. We're happy to do the Zoom thing right now. Um, we regularly are with docs and nurses and healthcare. We are in, in normal times, we were in church basements all the time. We're in schools, we're in colleges, we're at lunch and learns, um, anywhere that somebody asks us to be, we're going to try our best to get there to talk about what's important um, to that organization and what we do at Willow. And you've mentioned a couple of other community organizations that you work with too. Is there one that you would like to sort of shout out a little bit or that you think doesn't get enough recognition? Yeah. Can I plug two? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So uh, the first one that I wanted to uh, plug is our our rec centers in the city. They fill such an important gap all year round, pandemic or no pandemic. They are a safe community location for young people. They are homework helping. They are providing food resources. They are just providing a stable and safe environment for young people. And now they're doing that more than ever, especially with um, you know the, the city not being in school. It's all virtual. They're filling a huge gap there to help kids learn virtually. So I cannot say enough about our rec centers and what important work um, they are doing in the community right now. The other organization I wanted to plug is um, our crisis nurseries here in Rochester and specifically Owens House. Owens House helps us out a ton. Um, it's, it's a service um, for people who have emergencies happen, you know, whether it's domestic violence or whether it's a health-related emergency or unemployment or, you know, something comes up and you need someone to care for your child in the middle of the night. If you have no family or other resources, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And Crisis Nursery really helps fill that gap um, for families who are in need. So um, that Crisis Nursery, they serve over 2,000 kids kids and, and babies every year through their services. So um, they're an incredibly important resource here in the community as well, crisis nurseries. Those are excellent shout outs. <laughs> um, and lastly, what's your favorite thing about Rochester? 
it's hard to pick one. Um, I was born and raised here, so it is hard to pick one, but I love Rochester. I love our city and our culture and our history and our arts and music. If, if you, you know, in normal times, if you're saying that there's nothing to do here, then you are not paying attention. This is an amazing place full of things to do and, and culture. But I will also plug that my favorite place in Rochester is the Rochester Public Market. And you will see me there every Saturday morning, uh, drinking a cup of coffee, eating an empanada. Um, that is my favorite place um, in Rochester. I love the public market. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for talking about uh, this important issue. And thank you for all the work that you and everyone at Willow are doing. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thriving Forward podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Kids Thrive 585 Inc., the Huckelman Center at the University of Rochester and Rochester Regional Health. To learn more about today's guest, head over to kidsthrive585.org and click on the podcast link. See you next time. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of their employers or funders.